We have learned from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 8, that in view of God's mercy and grace, we act so that we are transformed into Christ's image, even as we obediently fulfill his will, his good, pleasing, perfect will. We yield to it, we obey it, and as we do that, because we're being transformed, we obey, and as we obey, we're being transformed. It's a continuous process. And we also learn that we are to build up the body of Christ. We have a responsibility to build one another up. And so especially as we desire, discern, and develop our spiritual gifts, we do so for the benefit of others. Now from Romans chapter 12, verse 9, what we're starting to read today, through the rest of this chapter, and essentially through the rest of the epistle, Paul is describing the transformed Christian life and essentially or particularly in terms of relationships with those inside and outside the church. So he's saying, this is how you live out your Christian life. This is love in action. And he's focusing on the relationships that we have with those inside the church and those outside the church. There has to be a consistency. There are, of course, some variations based on the fact that we relate to those people or we are related to those people differently. But in essence, he's saying, hey, this is how you should be. This is what you should do. We've learned all these things through Romans chapter 12, verse 8 here. Now, I want to emphasize for you, this is how your love must be in action. And it's all these short sentences. You know, he's just sort of punched. You know, he's punching these truths into us, sort of thing. Boom, 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 boom. So let's pay attention to that as we go through this and as we look at these phrases that are here. And so this, in this next section, Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 13, we're considering how we should treat others because of the love of God and how we should treat fellow believers, fellow members of the body. So let's read Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 13. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Five verses, three points. First point. Love must be sincere. Through the last few weeks as we are looking at body ministry, we saw that when we do this, when we are exercising spiritual gifts and we're basing that exercising of spiritual gifts, we're doing so on God's love for us and God's love for one another. God is pouring out his love to us and that's why we're able to exercise spiritual gifts. And Paul, we saw that Paul is emphasizing this point in 1 Corinthians especially in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, as he describes there what true love is and what that love looks like. Now here in Romans 12, Paul's having that same emphasis. He doesn't go through all those phrases. He doesn't describe it in detail, but he's essentially making the same point that we have to love sincerely or literally unhypocritically. That's the phrase that is used there. That's the meaning of the word that is used there. That sincere, 
right? It must be unhypocritical. What does that mean? Our love cannot be phony. Dealing with others a certain way in public or externally, in terms of our external sort of presentation, but rather being critical and judgmental of them in private or internally, you know, in our own sort of impressions, perspective of them. So we deal with them a certain way in public, but internally and in private, we are harsh, we are critical, we are judgmental. So what the Bible is saying is, that's not the way that love is. Our love cannot be of that kind. It cannot be phony. Now, as sad as this may be, if, been, if you've been in the church for any length of time, a church typically where there's an expectation that people are nice and helpful and loving, right? What, what happens is you can appear or you can learn how to appear loving without loving sincerely. And you will find that if you just only have to scratch the surface of church, of church life, in any country, not, I'm, not, I'm not singling out any one group here. I'm saying you just have to scratch the surface of church life in any country and you will find pride, prejudice, ethnocentrism, racism, classism, colorism, separatism, discrimination, and even outright hatred rather than love for others. So, the reminder to love sincerely is given because the Holy Spirit knows that every one of us have the sinful tendency not to love sincerely. We can tend not to love whole groups of people and we can tend not to love individuals, friends, colleagues, neighbors, and even family members. So the Holy Spirit implores us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds because left to ourselves, we will not love sincerely. So he says, be transformed. Change your thinking. Renew your mind. Have the mind of Christ so that in terms of how we think of others, we will love others according to the will of God which leads us to recognize from the next few verses in this passage that love requires action. A sincere, biblical, consistent, Holy Spirit-empowered, unconditional, abundant love for others requires diligent action. It doesn't happen by accident. Listen to these phrases. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. These are not passive words. These are not passive words. These are aggressive words. These are descriptions of intense and unrelenting action. So if you're seeking to love sincerely, you must commit to work hard 
You must commit to work hard at it. Because it doesn't come naturally. In ourself, we don't want to do these things. We don't want to be patient with people. We don't want to be kind and forgiving. And we don't want to say to them, I prefer you over me. We don't want to do that. And so we have to work hard at this. We have to be diligent in this. We have to come to the Lord and say, Lord God, help me. Because you see, if you're seeking to love sincerely, if you're seeking to love sincerely in the ways that the Bible is calling you to, you will find that there is no lack of opportunities to express your love. You're never going to have to say, I don't know where to, where to direct my love. There will always be something. And if you are seeking to love sincerely, hope, patience, and prayer, these words that are used here, all speak to the fact that we cannot expect instant results. We say, oh, I'll love you if I see the fruit of my love right away. If I get appreciation from you. If I get love back from you. If I see that there is a result and a fruit from what I'm doing right away, then I'll continue to love. But if I don't, if I don't see that response, hmm, I'm not really keen on loving like this. But all those words that we just read, they're not speaking about instant results. They're not saying, love and you will get back love. They're saying, be patient. Keep praying. Just be faithful. You know, keep, keep, keep having hope. Hope is expectant, expectation for the future, not an immediate receiving or gratification in the present. And so here we are. It takes time to bear the fruit of sincere love. And we are seeking to commit this way. But if we're seeking to love sincerely, and I want to spend a little bit more time here, love or loving sincerely starts in our own homes and in our own churches. Right? Sometimes, and this is what Mike was alluding to too, sometimes the hardest people to love are your own family members. And when I say family, I'm say, speaking about those who are related to you by the blood that flows in your veins and those that are related to you by the blood that flowed from Calvary. Our family is not just a small group of people. Our family is very large. But we interact, of course, with a fewer number of people at a time. And when we do, our own family members. And by the way, I say this many times. I'll say this again this morning. I always preach to myself first. These are words that have to convict me first. I, it is toughest for me, and I believe for many others, to express sincere love to the family members first. Why? Why is there a lack of love where you would expect to find the strongest expression of love? Because when we are close to others, when we spend a lot of time with them, when we interact with them in various circumstances, and when we live together in the same home, we begin to see what is insincere in them. And they begin to see what is insincere in us. We see what's in their hearts, and they see what's in ours. When you're just interacting with somebody once in a month, Oh, they don't see all that. 
They see a happy, nice face and they say, oh, what a loving person. But when you're under the same roof and you're going through the things of life, oh, they see what's insincere in you. And you see what's insincere in them. And guess what? None of us like what we see. But here's the thing. Whether we're loving sincerely or not, we know that the Bible calls us to such a love. Whether you know the Lord Jesus or not, you're actually calling out for God. All the people in the world, no matter who you are, what your circumstance, there is a vacuum in our hearts that can only be filled by God. And we call out for that relationship with God. We may not even know how to articulate that need, but it is there in a very similar way. When the Bible says love sincerely, I assure you every single person in the world wants to, ex wants to experience that kind of sincere love directed towards them. And they are wanting to express that kind of sincere love to someone else. People want to be loved and to love. It is just a part of who we are as human beings. God has created us that way. So what happens? What, what happens is that when the Bible says love sincerely, even if you don't know the Bible, you're actually desiring this in your heart. You're desiring sincere love. We desire sincere love in ourselves and we desire sincere love in others. And when we don't find this love of God, when we are not seeing it, we go find it somewhere else. We look for all sorts of other substitutes. And all the world around you, and you yourself, if you're honest, have at many times pursued something because it was to, it was to fulfill that craving. It was to fill that need, that desire. And you went after something to fill your time, to fill your mind, to keep you occupied because at the heart of it, there was a desire for this sincere love and nothing was doing it. Nothing was giving it. And so you went somewhere else. But when we do come to the Lord, when we come to him and say, Lord God, I need you. I need you and I need you to fill me. Oh, we desire this sincere love. And when we look for that and start to see it, that starts to make the difference. Now here's the thing that happens. When we look at ourselves and we don't see sincere love, we often justify it. We often explain it. We say, well, you know, it's because of these reasons. When we don't see it in someone else, we're very quick to say, look at that. But the Bible's not calling us to be harsh, to be critical, to be judgmental, or even to feel condemned about our own shortcomings. Rather, the Bible says, love sincerely. So what should we do? How can we love without being hypocritical? You know, I mean, I've said this here before, but before I got married, I thought I knew all about marriage, all about love, everything else. I got married and then I found out I don't know anything. You know? I'm selfish, I get angry, I do all this stuff. You know, I mean, so what do we, how can we say I love you and not be a hypocrite about it? It's very, very tough. Loving God and loving others sincerely, of course, stems from our being transformed into his likeness for, by the renewing of our minds, but it is impossible for godly love to flow from us 
if godly love has not flowed to us. All that I'm talking about and all that I'm setting up here stems from that relationship with God. If we haven't committed to the path of life that the Lord is laying out for us, where Jesus says, I am the way, the life, and the truth. If we haven't committed to that path of life, then we will not be able to experience this sincere love of God. But when we are in this path of life, we can take some deliberate steps to put away the old man, the old self, with its tendency not to love sincerely. And we can put on the new man, the new self in Christ Jesus with the power of the Holy Spirit to love sincerely. That's the difference. That's the contrast. That's the way in which we can say, Lord God, I can be led in the ways of love. Next week, as we go through Romans chapter 12, verses 14 through 21, We'll get into some more practical steps of love and action. This week, in terms of the scripture that we just read, I want to point out just two specific steps to express love, two specific points of application that seem that, that are absolutely related to this, the set of points that I've made so far. But I just want to make those two points of application and then we'll want to come back to this whole theme of us living this or having this desire for sincere love and then we'll close and then we'll have communion together this morning. But verse 13 calls us to share with the Lord's people who are in need and to practice hospitality. What do we share with those in need? Now, we, we may share of our resources, our time, our labor, our love, but Keep in mind that sharing with those in need doesn't require an abundance of material possessions or material resources. You know, it's not, it's not, we're not waiting till we have, have you heard people say, I'm not giving right now because I don't have enough. When I have this much, then I'll start to give. Right? It doesn't matter what that number is, this much. Right? Uh, so what do we say about people in need? We say, well, I can't really help them. When I have whatever, then I'll give, then I'll help, then I'll do something. But the Bible's not so speaking about the resources that we would have when it says share with those in need. And you know this yourself, you know that sometimes when you're in need, you just need someone who will listen to you, someone who will sit with you, someone who will be a friend, someone who will just love sincerely. You're not looking for a whole bunch of resources. Right? You're not saying, give me all this money and do this and do that. You're just needing some things where just some simple ways that people would reach out to you are sufficient. So what the Bible is saying is we share what we have, what the Lord has given us, what he has blessed us with, and what he has gifted us with. We share that freely. Not what we think we need to have in order to share. Jesus said even to the disciples, what do you have? When they said, oh, there's a great need. He said, what do you have? What do you have in your hand? And that's the same question that the Lord asks us. What do you have in your hand? Now, if you feel that you are lacking, then maybe that's another opportunity to keep going back to the Lord in prayer and saying, Lord God, you fill me with your spirit. Give me all of your power. Give me the gifts so that 
I will have what I need to share. And, and the Lord will do it. The Lord will do it. But it is what we have that we give freely. And it is in doing so that we are able to say, I am able to share with those in need by the power of the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. We also, when it talks, the next phrase about practicing hospitality, we typically think of being hospitable as receiving people into our home. And we can certainly do that. Right? We can certainly do that. I encourage you to do that. I'm coming to back to that point in just a little bit here. But I want to encourage you. I want to I say to you that depending on the circumstances, you may not be able to do that. So you don't have to feel like, oh, I can't invite anybody to my home, so I can't be hospitable. It just may be that you get together with somebody right, for a meal or a coffee or, or you know, a smoothie, smoothie, healthy smoothie. Uh, um, uh, you know, it's not about whether you have, again, it's not about whether you have the physical means, right? It's, it's not about, I have a home that is set up in a certain way to be hospitable, to receive large groups of people, then I can practice hospitality. No, it's not about that. It's not about your resources, it's about your heart. And practicing hospitality you know, using that word there, the, the fact that the Bible's using that word there, it just has to do with our deliberate action rather than the method that's used. If I don't have people in my home and serve them a meal, then it's not hospitality. No, it's what's going on in the heart. It's how you're diligently taking action. It's how you're being deliberate to reach out to somebody. And when you're doing that consistently, that's all that the Bible's asking you to do. Practice hospitality. Do that with joy in your heart. Don't worry about the method. Now it is wonderfully appropriate that we are in this passage of scripture during Missions Month. Because we are celebrating the work of missionaries that we support and we are freshly enthused about the mission, the great commission that the Lord has entrusted to each one of us to go into all the world and to make disciples. But missionary work depends on sharing with the Lord's people who are in need and practicing hospitality, right? Otherwise, missionary work wouldn't, wouldn't happen. So if you think about it, missionaries would not be able to go where they are and do what they are doing unless someone helped them out and unless someone received them and were hospitable to them. Joel and I had the privilege of being in ministry in Andhra Pradesh in India about six years ago and we, although we went into some very remote areas by jeep on roads that were not really roads, uh, and we experienced a little bit of the circumstances that the local people were experiencing every day, we were quite comfortably based in the ministry leader's home, and we didn't really have any appreciable hardships. But the ministry leader, he was sharing with us that when he started out, and when he began as a missionary to that area, he would go on foot. There was nothing else. There were no roads and there were no means of getting out into some of these remote villages. And he would go by foot into these places. But he had to plan his trips each day even or each week or whenever he would go out. He had to plan them very carefully because he had to get out to where the village was, share with the people there, and then trek back before nightfall because it was dangerous at night. 
There were no lights, there were no security things, there, were nothing, there was nothing that could, you know, there were no barriers on the roads, nothing of the kind. So if you were stuck somewhere out in the jungle at night, it was a dangerous place. So he would have to plan his, you know, his going out and his coming back very carefully. And sometimes he would get into a village and he would share or do something and it would get too late. And he couldn't make it back in time to his home. And so he would just have to sleep right there. And in that village, if there was nobody there that would show hospitality, he would just sleep on the ground out in the open. Many, many times did that. Many, many times. And over time, as he would share like this, a few at first and then many more people started to receive the message of the gospel. And over time, and even before some of these folks did, people just started to invite him into their home. Now he would trek in there and have at least some shelter where he could stay for the night. And over time, whole villages came to the Lord. By the time we were visiting and we were going to all these places, churches had been established. Things were happening. All because a missionary, a person, went sacrificing, giving, doing these things. And somebody helped. Somebody practiced hospitality in the body of Christ. And that's what led them to say, come, we'll join together. We'll fellowship. We'll see the work of God being lived out in this way. So here's a point that I want to make to you this morning. We respond and apply to this word of God by sharing with those in need and being hospitable. I'm not going to tell you what that looks like for you. I'm not going to tell you, you must invite three people to your home this week. I, I mean, I can. I mean, you know, we, we, we can do that. Right? And, and you, you better make sure that you, you know, and I have in the past even said, make sure to connect with at least one family or one person that you don't know. You know, I've said these things. But it's not about forcing you to do something. It's about you praying and saying, Lord God, how should I do this? How do I share with somebody who's in need? How do I reach out to them? And I know that you are doing that. I know people in this church are doing that faithfully. When people are in need, when there's a, an illness in the home or something else going on or having to move or whatever else, move stuff, I know that people are helping and I thank you for that. I thank you that you are sharing with those in need. And I, I'm, I'm just challenging you, go further, go further. Ask the Lord, what else can I do? What more should I do? What can I do to share with those in need? And how can I practice hospitality? How can I reach out to somebody? How can I just meet with them? How can I just spend a little time with them and invest in them and let them know that I care about them, the Lord cares about them, and let them have, give them the opportunity to let that same care, affection, and love be expressed back to you. Oh, that's what we are about in the body of Christ. That's what we want to do in the body of Christ. That's where we want to move from insincere love to sincere love. Not just saying something, not just smiling on the outside, not just looking good, but rather sincerely loving each other. When the Bible calls us to this, oh, what a difference would be there in the world around us if every single church if every single believer, and therefore, if the entire body of Christ worldwide was loving 
sincerely. Do you think that the people in the world would notice? I assure you they would. Because it wasn't an accident that Jesus said, they will know you by your love. It wasn't, it wasn't an accident. He didn't say they'll know you by your great preaching. You know? And so when we love sincerely, when we love sincerely, and we let the love of God be manifest in these ways, God will make the change. God will make the difference. People will be drawn to him. This morning as we're here together in person, and those of you online, thank you for joining. I, you know, I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you. Missions Month, and especially as we see videos and hear from people and all these kinds of things, is a great opportunity for us to be reminded of the work of God around the world. But don't forget the work of God right here, in your own home and in your own church, so that we would say, Lord God, you help me. Help me to love sincerely. Help me to pour out your love. Help me to receive your love and help me to pour out your love. Let me do this in a way that lifts up the name of Jesus so that all will be drawn to you. Heavenly Father, I thank you that, Lord, you call us to love and you call us to love sincerely without pretense, without, Lord, as the Pharisees even did, declaring their great love for God and for others, but not showing it in any way in their actions. And Lord, you called them hypocrites, whitewashed tombs. Lord, we don't want to hear that from you. We don't want to come to you and have you say, you professed your love for me and for others, but you were hypocrites. Lord God, no. We want our love to be sincere. We want our love to reflect the love of God. Lord, I pray that for each one of us, you would show us individually where we need to pay attention, where our love has been insincere, which relationships in our life need to be set right. Lord, how we have professed love, but we really haven't meant it. And maybe it's in our own homes, with our own family members, with our own spouses, with our own children. Lord God, wherever it needs to change. Lord, starting here, right here, Lord, I, I come to you. And I ask you, Lord, for that change. In every single area, in every single relationship, where we have, Lord, been insincere. Lord God, transform us. Let your power and your grace be brought to bear. Transform us indeed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.